think Bam Bam Bigelow ever got on roller skates, Bronson? Yes, 100% with flames on them. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. He is the Robin to my Batman, the voice of NXT, Vic Joseph. Vic, we got a ton of big things coming the listeners' way this week. We got a great chat with NXT North American champion Bronson Reed. We're going to finally complete our Mount Rushmore's of WWE moments. But before we get to all that, what's standing out to you? What's Vic Joseph fired up about this week? Well, I'm still fired up. I'm still feeling the effects of what took place earlier this week on Tuesday at NXT inside the Capitol Wrestling Center. My voice is still a little raspy. I mean... You like to use the word, man, this match is going to be a banger. Karrion Cross, yes, Finn Balor to a huge rematch on NXT TV. This wasn't a takeover. This wasn't a, a special event. This was, it could have been. It could have been the main event of any takeover. Could have been. You can really throw any pay-per-view in there that you want. And these guys, I mean, tore the house down. The welts forming all over the, the hard hitting. I mean, I can't even, if you haven't seen it, go find it, watch it. But that is what I'm still feeling the uh, the effects of personally of just being in that moment with those two and and look frankie monet made her debut as well on nxt uh bronson reed had his own very special moment inside the ring again we'll talk to him later on it just was a, a huge night already looking forward to next week man because in your house is right around the corner for us at nxt on june 13th next week johnny gargano pete dunn bobby fish the winner will now meet carry and cross or whomever is the NXT champion. So there's just so many things going on in NXT that it's hard to maintain a focus. And you know me, I'm already scared or brain dead as, as it is like a little goldfish. Well, it's with good reason. There is a lot of goodness happening on Tuesday nights. I'm such a big fan of Karrion Cross. I've been open about this for a while. I was with you. You and I got to call his initial NXT championship win over Keith Lee back at NXT TakeOver 30. And Injury aside, you know, he lost some time, but man, Cross just picked up right where he left off. And he is what I like. Very similar to Bobby Lashley on Monday night, on Roman Reigns on Friday night. Karrion Cross, big, badass, legit heavyweight. I love everything about him and the presentation. I could watch Karrion Cross seven nights a week. And he's another one I'm going to, you know, push hard to steal for Mondays uh, just because, oh, oh, you know, I like to take you, your nice things away from you. <laughs> you do. That's a very, it's probably one of the most truthful things you've ever said to me through the <laughs> ATV show, actually. Well, I have my own nice things to be excited about this past week on Monday Night Raw. Uh, it, it felt fresh to me at times. It was the, the addition of Kofi Kingston into the WWE championship picture, even if it's a, it, it, it's not Obviously, as Hell in a Cell approaches, we find out next week we're going to have Kofi Kingston versus Drew McIntyre. Winner will challenge Bobby Lashley at Hell in a Cell. It's going to be good either way, but just the chemistry of Drew McIntyre and Kofi Kingston. It was a fresh matchup. These two guys, for all intents and purposes, are fan favorites, so they're not going to cross paths, not going to compete too regularly these days. Uh, I thought it kicked off Monday Night Raw, set the tone really, really well, and I, I thought it was a really, really fun match. And I think the sleeper hit of the night had to go to Riddle and Xavier Woods. Now, Woods is a guy, as far as New Day is concerned, he's usually the last to compete, or historically speaking, he has been. Obviously, now that Big E's on Fridays and, and Kofi and Woods are on Mondays, Woods has seen a lot more in-ring action. Uh, but to see him have that platform, that one-on-one -on -one moment with Riddle, who, again, I'm a huge fan of, those two brought it, man. 
that th that was just such a unique the the pacing of the matchup the way they started with the grappling and the amateur wrestling it was just it felt different even the flow of it it, it was strange from my perspective calling the match it had a, such a different flow you and i both know that the match tends to build there's a, a certain structure to most matches in wwe or in the business as a whole it generally follows a, a limited set of formulas you kind of pick one that works best and they all sort of you know fill in the blanks this just felt different to me and woods and and riddle much to your point about uh finn and cross beat the living hell out of one another on monday night raw it was a blast to me it's interesting you because i've never thought of it that way when it came to xavier woods when it came to the new day uh, and being the lack of a better phrase the third wheel but really I guess you could say Xavier Woods really kind of was forgotten about for what actually he can do As when he steps in the ropes. Right. And it was a nice match to to watch. And it's kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, he's a player, too. Like, right. he, he can be a player. Like, that's now another chess piece we're going to put on this board. And the, the word you use that stuck out most to me, fresh. It's all fresh. Well, some of it's fresh. I, I dig it. I, I like I like seeing different matchups and, and you know different people brushing up against each other that we haven't seen at, at least in a long time, if not never before. Uh, but it was fun, man. I, I left Monday night with a with a good vibe. I'm excited to see what happens this coming Monday. Drew and Kofi, I'm sure, no doubt, will tear it down again. Whether we get McIntyre and Lashley at Hell in a Cell or we get Kofi and Lashley, either way. You know, I, I gush week after week about everything Lashley does and MVP turning to gold. Uh, I, I've, it just, it's, it's something not necessarily anything tangible, but it's, it's an inherent feel that I have. And I think it has a lot to do with the way everybody on every roster is gearing up for the fact that we are finally returning to live <laughs> crowds. And I think that is tangible backstage, everybody going, all right, I got to step my game up in a matter of weeks in a in second week in July, we're going to have fans again. It was like WrestleMania was the appetizer, but now Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown, going to have the live crowds back. I know you guys have some fans in the Capitol Wrestling Center, mm -hmm. uh, but to have it become the norm again, everybody top to bottom from the announce table to who's in the ring to the guys backstage, everybody is fired up about this development. Yeah, you got the, you know, the, the WWE Universe, lack of a better term, the fans coming back. End of the day, we're all fans. I sure. don't care what anyone here tells you. We're it's all not a bad still word. a fan. You know, you're still a fan. Yeah, it's not a swear word or anything like that or one of the words. It, it, we're all fans. You, you bring up the fans for NXT, and we're going to talk to Bronson Reed about this. The fans, even the few that are allowed into the Capitol Wrestling Center, it means the world. Right. And when you start filling up, uh, and, and I, you're going to have to help me with the arenas, the Toyota Center, I think, is Houston. Uh, the American Airlines Arena, That's, I think, is in Texas as well. That's Dallas. You, That'll be where Monday Night Raw is, and in it, Fort Worth is uh Thank you, with Fort Worth. That's what I can. When you start thinking of, and I don't know the parameters of it, but thousands Mm -hmm. in, in an arena again, not only being back, but the fact that we've all been kind of put in our own little bubble. The fans have, they want to be back. We want to be back in the fan. You and I can feel the energy from those that are around us. It's, it certainly brings a smile to my face. I'm a little envious that you will be uh, there in the Toyota center and in the American airlines arena and wherever you guys are going to be going over the next few weeks, but you can actually feel the boys in the back, the, the locker room, like, Oh man, it's over. It's here. It, we're ready to rock. It, it absolutely is. That's that's the, the sort of mentality that's permeated the entire company right now. Everybody's so stoked. And it's funny, the timing of all this, obviously the world as a whole is sort of slowly getting itself back to normal. I went to a Penguins playoff game last week, right? 
And I've said many times that there is no atmosphere to me as a fan like playoff hockey, particularly in Pittsburgh because I'm a Penguins fan. And I went and the atmosphere was awesome. It was, it was half capacity. I think there were just under 10,000 fans there. But the energy was there. And you've got half of an arena and it was like a teaser going, okay, we're only half full. Just imagine how this place will rock once it's full again one of these days. But I couldn't help but notice how spoiled I am because of just the live production. Now, this is the NHL, right? This is the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is the top of top of the game as far as that goes. There were fireworks, but not real fireworks. There were video packages, but not great video packages. And all I kept saying, because that's all I have to compare it to, is, man, nobody does it live like WWE. I don't care what, it, what sport it is. The experience of being there with the music and the lights and the pyro and everything... I've missed that so, so bad. It is incredible as the Thunderdome has been, obviously, visually speaking, but you can't ever make up for the energy that the fans provide. And I cannot wait to get back in front of crowds. It's it's weird too, because, you know, so many people ask, you know, well, what's it like to, to, to work for the WWE? And I have said, well, do you like going to rock concerts? Because it's a rock concert. Yeah. You like going to a sporting event? It's a sporting event. You like all the theatrics of pyro and lasers and 50 foot flames and pirate ships that get built into entranceways. Like it's all rolled into one, one form of entertainment. Unlike anything else in the world, it's the WWE. So I'm actually looking forward to that first show, that first live event. And to really see what sort of toys get pulled out in terms of pyro and video packages and lasers and what's going to happen. I have a feeling that somebody will be talking about this upcoming return to normalcy on their WWE Mount Rushmore of significant moments, which is something you and I have been working at over the past several weeks. It's impossible. It is all subjective. Everybody's a fan. Everybody will give you four completely different answers, but that's what we've been breaking down. Our four favorite moments in WWE history on the proverbial Mount Rushmore. Uh, Vic, do you want to run us back through your choices thus far? Yeah, so I got uh, the honorable mention because we did throw that out one week for me, and I actually caught some flack on social media for it was John Cena finally being drafted to Raw was an honorable mention for me. Uh, Hogan Andre, WrestleMania 3. Austin 316 being born, which to me was the start of the Attitude Era when he won the King of the Ring. And the one that I think you and I agree on, WWE buying the competition. WWE buying WCW uh, on that fateful night. Yeah, definitely agree 100% on that night. Shane McMahon showing up in, in WCW, totally surreal. Uh, my other moments included the first ever WrestleMania, because in my opinion and the opinion of many, if that first WrestleMania isn't a success, you and I sure as hell aren't sitting here with a podcast. Uh, we're, WWE is, is maybe not even in existence had that not been the success that it luckily was. Uh, and of course, Stone Cold being involved in my moment, but Stone Cold Mike Tyson to me kicked off the Attitude Era because that night and the ratings it garnered really sort of sort of turned the tides toward WWE's favor in the Monday Night Wars. It's really impossible to pick four right answers because I think all of these answers are right, including some of these honorable mentions that you meant that you, mm -hmm. you just listed off. Uh, we had a few 
people send in a few uh, suggestions of their own. A guy, Adonino Brown at the Wordsmith said he has to add the outsiders showing up in WCW in his number four spot. Great moment of historical significance for the business, but I don't know if it's significant to WWE, which is kind of the conversation. So uh, you're wrong, Mr. Brown. (laughs) I apologize to tell you, you're wrong. I just got done saying there are no wrong answers. Well, color me incorrect. And uh, at Boogie the Great wants to add to the Mount Rushmore moments. He's got a few suggestions. He agrees with Hogan slamming Andre, Hulk Hogan, turning into a villain, which took place in WCW. Uh-oh. Guys, try to stay with me. I didn't think this was that difficult. Uh, the Don't Montreal screw job, which I want to chat about in a bit, and even uh, CM Punk's pipe bomb moment, which was, was a oh. big one that stood out. And I know a lot of people, I've actually gotten some feedback on Twitter uh, saying that was one of the Mount Rushmore moments. Hard to argue with. It was significant, certainly for the time. It was. A, a couple people had mentioned on social media, which we love the interaction um, throughout this entire uh, Mount Rushmore build Ric Flair winning the Royal Rumble in 1992. And and we talked off air with one of the producers, Alex, that, hey, great moment, huge moment, maybe on Ric Flair's yeah, Mount, Mount Rushmore, Rushmore of his Ric own Flair moments, Absolutely. Ric Flair moments, uh, tables, ladders and chairs, really the the culmination of those TLC matches. Uh, another person had put out there uh, at its Richie, the end of the era when Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, WrestleMania 28 in uh, Florida all stood at the top of the ramp and embraced one another. That's that was almost made me sway. Into yeah, you know that. what? And I, I, was I like, wouldn't Man. have gone there, but hearing that listed off, that's definitely a good one. That to me, that was, I believe, my first WrestleMania as a member of WWE. I was in, I think, FCW at the time. We watched that Hell in a Cell match with Undertaker, Triple H, with HBK as the referee. That's one of that might be in my personal. Mount Rushmore of matches, mm-hmm. maybe WrestleMania oh, okay. matches. There. I mean, but that to me was definitely a, one of the my favorite moments as a fan. Um, even as a grown up, that was one of the ones where I went, "Oof, that got me, got me in the heart a little bit." I got put a lump in my throat after the incredible matchup. And I remember watching that matchup, thinking, "This is like a movie." If you ever had any doubt that the, of the greatness that is Triple H and Undertaker as competitors, you add Sean to the mix. There were so many moments in that matchup that it was, you could have broken it down and and made it into a graphic novel and not missed a beat. You would have had the same emotion just because of the way the the camera shots and the emotion on everybody's face. It it was truly, truly a great one. So thank you for that suggestion. I don't know that I'm going to add it to my Mount Rushmore, but it's definitely in the conversation. I I remember that match too, because that was really the first moment that I thought, oh, the Undertaker streak's about to end because he gets super kicked into a pedigree Mm -hmm. and then kicks out. and And that got me out of my seat. We've said this before made me believe. And, and that oh, was wow. the beauty of that match. The undertaker though, also comes from uh, Seth Beasy. The streak ending is on his Mount Rushmore moments. WrestleMania 30. Again, another legitimate suggestion, a very valid suggestion. I would never tell anybody that they were wrong aside from the first Except guy, the WCW, people. WCW stuff. Uh, but when it comes to <laughs> WWE, that, that was an incredible moment. I mean, that was something we got to the point where we thought, Undertaker's streak is never going to be broken. And Brock wasn't as red hot as he had been. Brock was still, he was returning, but he wasn't the Brock that we've come to know and love over the past several years, the dominant force. He was like, oh, well, is Brock going to stick around? And when Brock did it, it was baffling. that The camera shot of the dude in the front row with the shock and panic on his face, uh, that was absolutely wild to be a part of. Even Cole's call, the streak yeah. is over. 
because it was disbelief. Oh, man. I can't believe we just witnessed what happened. So I, I can see why people would put that on their Mount Rushmore's. But while we're on the subject of WrestleMania 30, my number four moment in Mount Rushmore WWE moments actually took place that same night. Daniel Bryan winning the main event of WrestleMania, the moment which is now known as Yeslemania. The moment after the matchup, when the confetti was going off, I had I was standing in the Superdome. Uh, some of us from NXT. Little did I know, I had just competed in my my last match less than 24 hours before. I was there, you know, as a member of NXT, just watching this all go down. And I didn't have commentary. I was there as a fan that where where we were standing. And when the match ended, and the pyro and the confetti cannons are going off, and the entire Superdome is chanting yes. And there are 60,000 ish people all in unison chanting, yes, yes, yes. And it was a great moment, but for me, it was the significance of the moment because Daniel Bryan was never supposed to be there. Yeah. Daniel Bryan was basically propped up by the WWE universe. Daniel Bryan was forced into that position by the fans, which up to that point, I don't know that it had ever happened, definitely not of that magnitude. Sure, you, you cheer loudly enough, somebody might get an opportunity. But the fans went, no, no, we don't want what you're giving us. We want Daniel Bryan. And it forced the company and everybody involved to go, maybe there's something here. And if you had any doubt at the end of WrestleMania 30, then you don't know anything about the business. But that moment to me was significant for those reasons. Not only a great moment for Daniel Bryan, but to me, it was so significant because it was the new age of fans, of more educated, more sophisticated fans that have a lot more access to information that they never had before. And they went, no, no, no. We're not going to stand for what you want us to stand for. We want this guy. This is our guy. We know you want that guy to be our guy, but that guy's not our guy. Daniel Bryan's our guy. And to see basically the entire WWE universe win together. And Daniel Bryan was, was the figurehead of it, but it felt to me, I, I will never forget that moment standing there and looking around the Superdome and, and just feeling the tangible excitement uh, of that moment. And that is why that to me is number four. When you first said WrestleMania 30, yes, a mania, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't even know if I w would even put it up there. But then as you started mentioning, it was the first time the fans forced the hand of the company I started to realize, yeah, you know what? That was a pretty significant moment because the fan's voice was legitimately heard. There was no denying it. I started thinking of Daniel Bryan. Do you remember when all the champions were in the ring and it was like Mark Henry, Daniel Bryan, Hunter, Sean, you know, the list and the crowd just started going, Daniel Bryan. And they had to like stop and he had to like, okay, guys, hi, how you doing? Like those are things that started to pop out in my mind. And now it's hard to argue your point because of the, the significance of the fans. When it comes to a fourth moment for me, I go back to the undertaker and I actually debated what the fourth moment for me on my Mount Rushmore moments would be because the honorable mention that I throw in here is Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, WrestleMania 10 revolutionized the ladder match. And without that ladder match, which is still talked about today, do we have a TLC? Do we have um, that that list goes on? Are those matches put in those sort of magnitude where you can have that as a big moment match? Because WrestleMania 10 really stood out for that specific moment, the iconic shot of Sean coming off the ladder. But I kept going back to one moment that's also iconic, and it's Mick Foley getting thrown off the Hell in a Cell by The Undertaker. So my fourth moment is that Mick Foley, Undertaker, Hell in a Cell 
which again, a match that's still talked about today. Mick Foley thrown off the cell, Mick Foley thrown through the cell, Mick Foley thrown on thumbtacks. You learn later on, he's actually pushing his tooth through his lip. I mean, it's all these things that embodied that moment. I watched it live. One of the very few VHS tapes I actually purchased was to have that match to continue to watch it over and over again. This is not a cheap plug for the A&E Sunday special featuring Mick Foley this Sunday for his biography. I just threw that one in there, but I almost made you, I almost cracked you graves right there for a second, but Mick Foley getting thrown off the cell by the undertaker. My fourth moment. Hard to argue with that one as well. That's a moment that has been often imitated, never duplicated. Mm -mm. You can never do it again for the first time. Uh, the, the thing that always stands out to me about that moment is it took place in Pittsburgh at the civic arena, an arena that I had gone to countless times as a kid. My dad always took my brother and I growing up. And for whatever reason, my dad decided we weren't going to go that night. We still watched it at paper on pay-per-view, but I'm, I'm 20 minutes outside of the city in my home and watching the moment. And I remember it happening. And I looked at my dad and even my dad looked at me like, Maybe we should have gone tonight because we knew we were seeing something special. And, and again, that's influenced a whole generation of, of athletes and, and the crazy moments, which now seem to come more and more frequently. But at the time, man, that was a true game changer. It's hard to argue with that one. And it was the main event, First Blood, Kane, Austin. Yes. Because the next night, Raw was in Cleveland. And right. I went to that raw in Cleveland thinking, oh, man, we might see the hell in a cell for some reason. Now I look back, I go, how stupid are you? They just did it the night before. <laughs> I'm not going to put it. And Austin won the championship back. Right. But how did you not go to King of the Ring? It's not a live event. It's not. It was King of the Ring, dude. Listen, I almost disowned my father as a result. Luckily, oh. we've, we've worked through it and we've gotten back to to, to a great place oh. in our relationship. But it was it was a rough couple of weeks uh, for, you know, teenage me and my dad. I was like, well, how could you? How dare you? But he well, knew, he knew, he realized, he was like, man, we should have gone to this one. He probably, you know, saw what was going to happen, you know, had this inclination. Hey, you know what? Mick Foley's going to get thrown off the cell. We don't need to go see that. All right. Now that we've both named our four, can we whittle it down to a decisive four moments in yeah. WWE history? I don't know if it can be done because I, to me, this is all so subjective. Everybody is, that's a fan likes this business, likes this company for various reasons. Some people may agree wholeheartedly with all eight of our suggestions and, and not be able to, to put it down to four. Somebody might have four completely different ones. I, do you think it can be done? I, I don't know because, again, we always talk about this business being art. We all look at art differently. You know, everything's different. I, I would think you and I can come to an agreement that WWE buying the competition at that time. That's that George moment, Washington, man. Yeah, that, that's, that's one that's on there. Uh, I could be swayed to take off fully taker inside hell in a cell, even though it was my fourth one that I put on there. I like at Richie's end of an era. The more I'm looking at it on the yeah. sheet of paper in front of me, I'm kind of like, damn, that, there's so many to draw. Uh, from. Why this didn't was, I this think was next that. to impossible? I, I think it's tough. I think the WWE, the purchase of the competition definitely stands on there because look, you and I will debate for another 20 minutes when the attitude era kicked off. For me, right. it's the Austin 316 promo King of the Ring. For you, it's Mike Tyson. I, I, I don't I know if it's, it's possible, I think it's a, it's a fool's errand, to be perfectly honest, to try to whittle this down to a decisive four. I think everybody's got their, their four, whatever they may be. There were some that you and I didn't mention or that none of the fans even mentioned that could very well fit perfectly as one of the greatest moments for whatever your reasons being. And the one, I mentioned it briefly uh, because it was suggested to us numerous times via social media, the Montreal Screwjob. Now, to me, I didn't add that to mine because... The Montreal Screwjob wasn't so much of a moment 
as it was a happening that really changed the course of our business. Uh, I see what you're saying, in a, yeah. in a litany of ways, but it wasn't so much that that moment was so great. It was more the fallout of what happened as a result of the Montreal screw job. And to that point, Vic, you and I had a little discussion that we're going to uh, try something a little different next week here on ATB. We certainly are. And I will let you do the honors, Mr. Graves, because at the end of the day, this was your show first. You wow, are the driver. That was very, very kind of you, Mr. Joseph. Thank you very uh, much. Next week, we, Vic and I, are going to sit down and reimagine history right here on After the Bell. We are going to look at how things potentially could have been had the Montreal screw job never happened. We know it happened. We know all of the documentaries and books and accounts from people that were there, people who weren't there. Everybody's got a take on this. Our take is going to be completely different, something that nobody, to my knowledge, has ever done publicly. We're going to talk about what the business could have been like, what may have happened had the Montreal screw job not gone down. And it all ties back to WrestleMania to me. Daniel Bryan, WrestleMania 30, my number four moment on Mount Rushmore, would not have happened without the Montreal screw job. And I cannot wait to break this down and talk about why next week. A little bit of a augmented reality, if you will, coming here to After the Bell. Going to be a good time. Can't wait to get to it. But before we get to next week, we were lucky enough to catch up with the NXT North American champion, the colossal Bronson Reed. You know, you and I have talked about um, the art of being a bigger man in the WWE. Yes. What drew you to Bam Bam Bigelow? He's sort of hard not to be drawn to, really. As a huge wrestling fan, as a kid, seeing a larger-than-life man come out with flames tattooed on his head. <laughs> uh, how could you not be a fan of someone like that? Bronson, I'm curious. You and I, we've you know met, we've been in the same room a handful of times. I haven't really got a chance to sit down and chat with you because I am very curious about the origins of Bronson Reed. Obviously, you grew up in Australia. What is it like growing up there as a fan of WWE? How did you come to fall in love with this business? For me, I've had family that have been you know big fans of professional wrestling my whole life. Uh, specifically, my uncle who used to live with me and my mother when I was a kid. And uh, like most people in Australia, the way to see wrestling was waiting for your local video store to get a WrestleMania or yep. SummerSlam to <laughs> be released. And generally in Australia, it would be like four months later or five months later. So we, we were very behind. So like you'd be reading wrestling magazines, see what happens and then go, okay, I'll have to wait for the video store to release that. Um, so from there, things slowly got onto like cable television in, in Australia. And yeah, I've been a fan of wrestling since I can remember. Like that's that's all I've sort of been watching. Pretty much addicted to it. Do you remember a point growing up where you went, I have to do that. I have to try that. Yeah, I mean, I think any wrestling fan as a kid probably says to their parents, hey, one day I'm going to be, you know, in the WWE or I'm going to be a professional wrestler. And those are sort of far-fetched dreams. I think the time that I thought like, hey, this is something I can actually do was once I realized there was local independent wrestling in my hometown. Um, so I had thought there was only, you know, WWE on, on television. I didn't realize there was a whole independent scene, let alone an independent scene in, in Australia. Uh, and I randomly got a flyer once. I don't remember who gave it to me, maybe a friend or something like that. And uh, I went to a live show, saw these people, 
you know, moonsaulting to the outside. Like they were doing some pretty crazy stuff. This is like maybe, I want to say like early 2000s. And uh, that's what really made me go, okay, I can do this. You know, it's crazy to me, guys, because you bring up the independent scene. For me, lifelong wrestling fan, I remember going and getting Wrestling Challenge 92 and things like that when you talk about the VHS uh, yes. tapes back in the day. I never knew of an independent wrestling scene, even being from Cleveland, Ohio. I didn't attend my first independent wrestling show until I was actually on it in 2009. So there was a whole different world that you just don't know of. Of course. I mean, Cleveland, Ohio, I imagine has a lot of uh, independent wrestling. That <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the hosts of After the Bell was a uh, champion in in Cleveland. I, was champion yeah, Cleveland. I just want to say, Vic, I mean, I'm, I've done more in your hometown than you have, as far That's as very true. That's the most most have in this industry. Actually, <laughs> it's funny though. Hear you hear us talk about this. It makes me think of the first time I ever discovered independent wrestling. I think yes. I was in middle school, maybe seventh or eighth grade. And I remember one night my dad telling my brother and I, hey, I got a surprise for you tonight. And I'm thinking that could be any number of things. And we were obviously <laughs> lifelong WWE fans and, and went to the live events all the time. But we went to this, what had been a shopping mall outside okay. of Pittsburgh here. And it was basically abandoned. It was kind of like a flea market on weekends. And I was like, oh, wow, what a great surprise, dad. You're taking us to the flea market. This is amazing. Oh. <laughs> uh, but we walked into the, into the actual back of a storefront the front of the store was a candy shop and baseball cards and all that sort of stuff. But somehow in the back of the storefront was a, a mini arena that probably seated four or 500 people. And the, the chairs wow. were permanently bolted down and there was a ring and the, the roof was low. The ceiling was low, no heat, no air conditioning. And I'm just thinking, what is this? It was like I, I stumbled into a, a forbidden world. And then I start seeing these guys come out and you had your guys that were, were emulating or, or, or were trying to imitate the guys they saw on TV, but it was like, wait a minute, this guy kind of wants to be like Shawn Michaels, but he's not Shawn Michaels, but this is really cool. I just remember having my mind blown the first time I was exposed to that. Yeah, I think as well, it just being so, like independent wrestling, you're so close up to the action. Right. Uh, you know, when I was younger, me, me and my family did go to some bigger tours, but you could only afford the cheap seats sometimes, so... Whereas Absolutely. at an independent wrestling show, you get there early enough. Sometimes it's it's free for all. I could get to the front row and I could be close to the ring. And to sort of be close to a ring as like a, a big wrestling fan was a big thing for me. Like, oh. Oh, like, yeah. To, to be able that. to run up, in, you know, at intermission and actually physically touch, touch a wrestling it. ring was oh, yeah, like did, the coolest the thing in the world. <laughs> You know, and on top of that, Bronson, now, now that it, now that Graves brings up, because I thought he was describing Niles, Ohio, in Youngstown, which sounds exactly like I've, that. I've which, been the champion there, too. But. Which, is just like, which is just like he described. What was the oddest, uh, I guess, place that you, when you started, that you actually wrestled in? I've wrestled in some pretty weird places uh, <laughs> all across the world. Um, in Australia, I've wrestled in, like, uh, roller skating rinks. A bunch of times like more than i can count on a hand which i think is a little odd um, i'm gonna stop I, you only because <laughs> i'm sorry this is i'm having a fun trip down memory lane this morning because you said wrestling in a roller rink which i do yes. i think anybody on the independence has has wrestled in a roller rink and vic i don't know if i've ever even told you this story but our, our buddy our mutual friend m dog uh matt cross he he will verify the truth of this story i once did a a show just outside of detroit that was to be held at a roller skating rink Yes. And we got there and it's showtime and the ring still hasn't shown up. Yeah. Motor says, oh, hey, no worries. Ring will be here shortly. Yeah. Like an hour goes by, still no ring. What are we going to do? There's a couple hundred people there waiting to see this show. 
everything is set up. There's an entrance ramp, but there's no ring. So we all decide to get together and, and pool our resources. And rather than having a wrestling show, we basically had a roller derby show with pro oh, wrestlers. Wow. The, the, the skate rink lo- loaned us all roller blades or roller skates. And we had what could best be described as a battle royal on roller skates in the middle of a roller rink with actual pro wrestlers. I remember uh, Chris Masters was there. Like there was like some <laughs> notable guys and it was the, to this day, the weirdest thing I've ever been a part of. We need to get some footage of that. I think, I think yeah. it exists. I've seen it on YouTube or daily motion or one of those. I, I couldn't for the life of me tell you. So, so hopefully somebody listening can dig deep enough and tag us whenever you find the footage, because it does exist. I know for a fact. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Outside of roller rinks, Graves, I would love to actually see you on skates. I can't skate for the life of me. Bronson, can you skate? Well, uh, a younger Bronson actually worked at a roller rink for a little while. So okay. for, for a good year or so, I, I worked there. It was a very easy job. I played a lot of the same songs as a DJ over and over. Um, but I wasn't too proficient on the skates. So, uh. I, so you just you just ruined the image. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm imagining Bronson Reed, like the dude that can get down low and skate. You know, yeah. just it just looks cool and effortlessly skating. That, that was what like I was like Goldfinger, for, so Austin, Austin Powers, Austin hey. Powers, Goldfinger, bringing up one <laughs> yeah. leg, bringing up the other, like spinning it around. <laughs> I could be really good. The, my main thing was I never wanted to do anything outside of my wrestling bubble to injure myself. I remember being like, I don't know, if I get on those skates, maybe I'll, I'll roll an ankle or I'll fall over. Like, I was too cautious. I think Bam Bam Bigelow ever got on roller skates, Bronson? Yes, 100% with flames on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know, we know, you've been very open about the influence that Bam Bam Bigelow had on you. Who else inspired you? Who, who else did you watch that made you want to do this? And then once you were in this business, who did you sort of model yourself after or take influence from? Yeah, uh... For me growing up, it was very much like the Federation years, I guess. Um, so you have your Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, uh, Diesel, Bam Bam Bigelow, Yokozuna, like all those 90s guys, Undertaker, of course. Uh, I was a huge fan of. That's, that's sort of the stuff that kept me a fan. And then obviously the Attitude Era came along and Stone Cold Steve Austin became my uh, favorite wrestler at the time. And then as a teenager, I discovered local wrestling and independent wrestling and Japanese wrestling. And that completely changed my view on, on how I saw wrestling. And, uh, that gave me a new goal as well. Like, uh, when I started wrestling, I don't know, not only wanted to get to WWE, but I wanted to be able to wrestle in Japan. And I ticked that goal off before WWE. And, uh, probably now one of my favorite wrestlers is Kenta Kabashi. So I'm sure a lot of people would say that within our business, um, but I'm heavily influenced by a lot of uh, Japanese wrestlers as well. Tell me a little bit about the journey. Now you're on the independence in Australia. You still got have these aspirations to make it big to WWE, to Japan. What's that process like on the other side of the world, going from Australia to, to branching out? In the United States, we've got a litany of options. I imagine you had a little bit more of a, had to be a little more creative. Yeah, 100%. Like when I started wrestling in 2007 in Australia, it wasn't really attainable to get to WWE. Well, it didn't seem like that because uh, growing up, there was no one on television for me to be like, oh, that's the Australian guy. That's the guy that's that's doing it. And then when I started the business as well, it, it didn't seem like they were signing people from Australia at all. Um, so I was just always intent on being the best professional wrestler I could be and and trying to just travel as much around Australia. And then about four, four and a half years into wrestling in Australia, 
had some friends that were actually wrestling in Japan and they were looking for more talent. So they told me to send my stuff to Japan and I did. And then I ended up getting a contract there and I ended up wrestling and living in Japan for about a year, I want to say. So that completely sort of, again, changed the way that I see wrestling, changed the way that I do what I do in the ring as well. You know, you talk about the journey for not being a lot of Australian superstars signed. I mean, what does it mean for you now to look around the NXT locker room uh, currently yeah. and even just a few months ago and see the Rhea Ripley's and then hear the stories of the Buddy Murphy's? Uh, it means a lot to me. You know, I think representation is such a big thing. So I, I think, you know, aside from the fact that it makes me happy and I think it's good for wrestlers back home to be able to see that, that, hey, maybe I can get to WWE and do that. I think it's big for fans. Like I remember being a fan as a kid and not having that representation on television. And I think now you get to see not only Australians doing well, but there's three of us at the moment that are champions. Like if I was a kid, I'm, I'm sure I would have loved that. Yeah, it's hard not to talk about, you know, Indy Hartwell. And then there's uh, the Vink, who's, you know, in, in NXT Vink. and just all these bodies that are coming in from Australia. Well, what did you say about Vink? Vink's, I like Vink. <laughs> I love Vink. Being best friends with him since I started my journey. We started in the same training school all the way to here. And, you know, again, it's one of those things I never would have thought would both be signed to WWE at the same time. It's just a little bit of a heat magnet, that Vink. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's quite the journey, but you know, that, that 14 year journey, we talked about a little bit earlier, um, the doubts that would creep into your mind during that 14 year journey. When did you truly look back now that you've had a little bit of time to soak in this championship and think, man, that 14 years was all worth it. I like to reflect on, on like the journey that I've had because I have had some really good times in wrestling and just, I feel like I was able to do as much as I can on the indies or around the world that I wouldn't want to change any other way. You know, I feel like some people obviously have different journeys to get here, but like, I'm proud of those things I've done. And I'm also, you know, it makes for good stories as we're talking about the roller rink and stuff like that. Like some people don't have those stories. Um, but I don't think I really truly reflected on it until just before the cage match when I realized like, Again, you can't script these things. It's it's pretty much fate that 14 years to the day of when I was having that cage match for the North American Championship was my debut match. And it's just, it's sort of surreal. And then that's when I sort of started reflecting on everything that I had to do to be able to get here. What was going through your mind? Because hearing you tell these stories, I, I relate a lot to the, the memories and the feelings. Of, yeah. I remember winning the NXT Tag Team Championships. Yep. And it, we'd beaten, I believe, the Wyatts at the time. It, it was some iteration of the Wyatt family. And it was Neville and myself standing in the ring with Sheamus, who at that yep. point was still just main roster guy. He, he was in basically like a special treat for NXT that night. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, I'm in the middle of a WWE ring. My paycheck says WWE and I'm standing here with Sheamus and I'm a champion in WWE. It was like, it was totally overwhelming. Did you have any sort of feelings like that? A hundred percent. So when I won the championship, I remember Daryl, the referee, handing me the belt and I, and I held it up and you can see on the camera, I just sort of like look at the, <laughs> the belt, like flabbergasted, I guess. And I'm like, oh, wow. And that's when I, you know, you don't, sometimes things become just like everyday stuff, everyday sure. work. And uh, I remember having that great moment of becoming champion. Obviously, my wife getting in the ring, that was 
great for me. But then getting backstage and getting like uh, a round of applause, but having the first two people that hug me and congratulate me be Shawn Michaels and Triple H, like that stuff for me, like, you know, I, I can't dream of that stuff. And now like I have a good relationship with Triple H and Shawn Michaels and I speak to them as if they're just people. Right. <laughs> but every now and again, I, I go to myself like, oh, that's Mr. WrestleMania or that's the King of Kings. Like, yeah, it, it's it's crazy. It's always important to be able to pinch yourself once in a while. I always oh. have my dad that kind of keeps me grounded. I'll, I'll call him and complain. I say it all the time about, I can't believe this. I can't believe that. And I'm all pissed off about God knows what. And it's always my dad that goes, listen to what you're saying to me. Yes. Just listen to what you just said. Digest the words that just came out of your own mouth and appreciate what the hell you're complaining about. And 99% of the time I go, yeah, you're right. I don't even know what I'm upset about. Yeah, that's very much the same for me, my family back home. So, you know, again, they've seen me be a fan of this for so long and they're still all the way back in Australia. Like when I mentioned someone like Triple H, you can just see it in their face. Like, oh my God, like, <laughs> right. The expression changes and then you go, oh yeah, I forget like these people are a big deal. And now you have the, the picture with the finger point to send them, oh, you know, the, 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 point, yeah. the NXT uh, trademark when you become a new champion. Yeah, I, I, I train, uh, well, I used to train people back home at a wrestling school that I had helped train at. And uh, a lot of the students there were waiting for that finger point. So... <laughs> G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. You talk about your family, your friends in Australia, and you and I talked about it that day. It was actually lunchtime for yes. them when they had to tune in. I'm assuming just about everybody took their lunch break watching you on NXT. Well, I'd hope so. Like, I'd I hope so, I, too. <laughs> I know I have family that specifically had the day off and stayed home and, and watched it. So I know like some people, like my actual mother, who I said should have stayed home. <laughs> she, she didn't have to work. She went to work and then, you know, got inundated on her phone with messages and stuff like that. Like her phone blew up and then it spoiled it for her, but she got to see it afterwards. Very, very cool. Yeah, yeah those are those stories. Great. What do you love to do? Just stay home. You know, if you're, you know, your brother or your dad was going to win a WCA, hey, guys can't come to school today. Listen, any, excuse, to championships. Yeah, any excuse for me to stay home is, is legitimate. I, sure. It's fine oh. with me. I don't leave unless I absolutely have to. <laughs> Bronson, I think anybody who's held a championship under the WWE umbrella, whether it be, you know, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, I think they would all agree. Now the work begins. Yes. What is next for Bronson Reed, the North American champion? Uh, I want to be a, a, a fighting champion. I want to be someone that uh, I, I've said it in some media interviews this week. Actually, I, I watched the uh, IVD Icons episode. I'm a big fan of him, and just seeing what he did for the television title in ECW, and how he almost escalated it to become the main championship of the show. That's what I, I want to. I'm going to. I'm going to stop you because I know why you're you're referencing this particular thing. Because who is <laughs> yeah. Rob Van Dam competing against when all of this happened? Because I watched it too. Yes, yes. 
Bam Bam, 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 Bam Bigelow. <laughs> yeah. What a match as well. Like incredible. Absolutely. Um, but he, like, I don't know if I'll have as lengthy a reign as that, but I want people to be like, if for say the North American Championship is on the card and you have the NXT Championship on the card, I want people to go, I want to watch the North American Championship match more. I'm, I'm not here I to dig compete. that. I like that mentality, man. That's, that's yeah. great. That's what elevates everything. I think so. It's what raising the game. I mean, you, you, you think about that, Bronson, and it, this past week on NXT, another superstar, Graves, who you and I have talked about, elevated the Cruiserweight Championship, none other than Santos Escobar. You can sign me up right now for a Bronson Reed-Santos Escobar match. No, yeah. I don't think the Cruiserweight title can be on the line, right? No. You don't technically <laughs> make that weight class. <laughs> yes, exactly. I said, you know, stay in your lane, Cruiserweight, okay? <laughs> so Bronson last week Vic and I chatted about the, the resurgence in recent times particularly in WWE of the big man looking up yeah. and down the roster on Raw on Smackdown you've got some some big dudes it's almost a throwback to you know the, the time we're referencing when when we came up where everybody was was truly larger than life physically speaking yeah looking across the WWE landscape now you find your name in the same conversation as a Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, Omos. I mean, we are talking huge human beings. You've got to be excited at the prospect of potential matchups. Who has Bronson Reed's attention right now? Uh, I think for me, there's there's so many uh, great heavyweights at the moment that there's so many matches I'd like to do. I think one that could be arranged and hopefully done sooner than later is uh, Bronson Reed versus Walter. Ah, yes. So yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the one I want to tick off first. And then uh, we can talk about the other people. I mean, a dream match for me at the moment is Roman Reigns. So that's someone I want to be able to step in the ring with. Very, very cool. Both of those sound awesome, but Walter yeah. and Bronson Reed, man. I got to ask you this. As a man of your size, at what point during your career did you kind of say, to hell with it, I've got to do my own thing? Like the idea of climbing to the top rope. To me, at my biggest, I was like 225 pounds. Yep. I was terrified of being on the top rope. I was like, this, I just don't belong here. You, you were arguing, you're a significantly <laughs> larger man than I ever was. You, you do it with ease, the tsunami, obviously everybody gets all fired up. It's a great reaction. When did you decide, I'm throwing caution to the wind, I'm just going for it? Uh, I think for me, like I started my wrestling career a little bit lighter. I would have been about 285, 290, which is still... Still, still a big dude, man. That's <laughs> still, yeah. still quite large there, Ross. So you're just like, you know, I was light when I first started, guys. I was 280, like, poof. Hey, but for me at like 280, I used to be able to do like flying salts and things like that, uh, which I haven't attempted recently. <laughs> but you never know. Maybe, maybe I'll break it out. Uh, I always tried to, as I got bigger, like I started doing powerlifting because I wanted to be stronger, bigger. And it worked. You know, it makes me a more... Uh, recognizable athlete and superstar. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to be able to still do everything within the ring. So as I was getting heavier, I made sure that I could still climb to the top rope. I could still, you know, I could still go. And uh, I used to always do a frog splash um, on the independence. And then over time, I started just turning that into this, what you see as the tsunami, which is more of a regular splash. but because it has so much uh, weight behind it. <laughs> it rules, it's man. It's, it's one of my favorite things about NXT right now. And, yeah, and, have, and give credit to Wade Barrett, Vic, because oh, when Wade loses his mind and screams Barrett. tsunami, man, I, <laughs> I, it, it gets me. It gets me right there. I absolutely love it. 
Bronson, have you ever had it along your journey, particularly in WWE, there's sort of a, a mindset that a big man has to work a certain style or has to move a certain way. And granted, it does work for a lot of guys, that giant style of in-ring performance. Have you ever had anybody say, hey, man, you got to change who you are. You got to slow it down. You can't be doing that. What are you thinking? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I've had that even before coming to WWE. I had people sort of say those things. Um, and there's been a few people backstage that have said, hey, maybe you should do this or, or do that. But I always found what feels best for me, you know, that's what I like doing. That's what makes me happy. And I feel like the fans can feel that as well. That resonates with people. Um, and stuff like being able to do the splash or, or, or doing a cartwheel against Johnny Gargano, which, you know, might have got a little bit of heat backstage. Those things are what people remember. Like NXT made a gif of me doing the cartwheel and that got a lot more retweets than you know me doing a standard suplex so i like being the hybrid athlete. there's another guy i can't seem to place him who used to do cartwheels <laughs> in the middle of a match and it was awesome <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, it, it, this is great man i was I, I didn't realize how much of a bam bam bigelow fan i was until i've heard you recently or read, read interviews and always being open about what an influence he had i remember you had the yeah. gear at uh, takeover 30 that we called yeah and, yep. and just to see that now i look back and it's you know it pops up on your timeline and you go god man i forgot how awesome he was yeah so thank you, you too oh, no no problem if i can spread the love for bam bam bigelow i will i mean a lot of the older big guys that i, I looked up to i still you see little flashes of them in, you know in my performance as well i still get like the uh the earthquake sit every now and again as well. So you see little flashes of people. You know, it's, it's really cool to, you know, correlate that. I'm glad you brought up the Bam Bam gear from Takeover uh, Graves at this past summer that you and I had a chance to call because it's been fun to watch the Bronson Reed journey, you know, from then till now with that win in the, in the uh, North American Championship match two weeks ago. But you brought something up that kind of caught my attention. It was when you talked about powerlifting. Because yeah. you have a very unique uh, music playlist, as we'll throw out there, uh, that I think I when I think of Graves in the weight room, I think of Motorhead. I think of Metallica. I think of things like that. When I think of Why me do you in the think weight about room, me in the weight room, I'm just saying like what you would lift to. When I think about myself in the weight room, that's non-existent. So when I think about Bronson Reed, I'm probably thinking about the same music. But come to find, is that hit me, baby, one more time? Yeah, dude, it is. So I yeah. kind of want to talk about this playlist that Bronson has. Wait, wait, wait. wait. No, 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 no. Why on. are you doing this to me? Why because are you I, doing this to me? I want I you to understand. to talk to Bronson Reed because I've got this image in my brain of what he is. And here you are just trying to spoil the whole damn thing. No, I'm expanding the image because Bronson Reed is is me, but stronger, bigger, more athletic. And it just I just want Graves you to appreciate pop music. If you're not yeah. going to listen to me, hey. maybe you're going to listen to Bronson Reed. I'm, I'm a man of uh, pop culture in general, films, music. Uh, I, I put, so I do have an eclectic taste in music. I listen to a lot of everything. Hip hop probably being the main thing, but then, you know, 90s smooth R&B, uh, maybe pop music, heavy metal, sometimes, you know, European death metal. Like I have such a eclectic taste that I, I always like different songs and then I just hit shuffle when I get in that gym. And um, sometimes, you know, I can have something like hate breed on and that'll help me get like a massive deadlift or at the same time, maybe John B or, or, be cool, or relax. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or jagged edge or, or if you want to be my like lover, that. spice girls, like I've heard <laughs> you do that one hey, quite a few times. Yeah. 
hey, hey, Spice Girls, they were a worldwide phenomenon. How can you not like? <laughs> I, I, I had to hear Here's one. Here's a revelation that I'm, I'm not proud to uh, put out in the universe, but I will. I had my first real kiss to Spice Girls when two become one. Oh, oh. wow. Wow, that's a great I was in, song. I, I was in, I, I believe, seventh grade, and uh, yeah, you, you couldn't you couldn't fight the power of of the Spice Girls at the time. No, no you no. couldn't. But you know, Bronson too, the, the the meaning behind the hand when you're making your entrance. I, I kind of really want you to explain to Graves and I where that all comes from. So, uh, in the independence, I was like, I need something that I do when I get to the ring. I need some sort of symbol. What it was, I didn't know. And then I was watching a live performance of Lady Gaga. So at the time, I used to go by the King of Monsters on, on, the, on the Independence. And uh, she's singing along. And then all of a sudden, she throws up this claw into the, you know, to her, her people watching. And I see a whole crowd of people throw up their hand like this. And I was like, what's that? And she said, uh, all my little monsters out there, I want you to throw up claw. That's what she called her fans. And uh -huh. I go... I'm stealing that. And uh, <laughs> ever since, maybe for the past eight years, I've come out and I've, I've done the claw symbol to people. And it everywhere I've gone, it sort of took a little while to catch on. But now you'll see when I come out at NXT, you'll see everyone in the crowd throwing that up. So throw I, the I claws up in the air. Uh, this means also that there's potential for Bronson Reed to show up on NXT in a meat suit. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Graves has a lot of good ideas, and I'm on board for that for some reason. It just, I'm, I used to picture you with the Goldfinger legs popping up at the roller derby. Now I'm picturing you in, now like, the, the, meat, the meat dress. <laughs> hey, if I can do something where it's uh, Bronson x Gaga, that's that stream stuff as well. There you go. I like it. It's all about collaborations, man. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. What's something else that the WWE Universe does not know or may not know about Bronson Reed off camera? Off camera, I mean, I'm pretty open with the WWE universe on my social media. You know, I speak about my wife, my cats. I have two cats that I'm pretty obsessed with. Um, my love for wrestling. I guess music is something that maybe some some don't know about now Now that um, Vic has brought that up. But maybe that I'm a huge uh, film nerd as well. So I'm big into 80s horror. All right. You know, a lot of people that see me before the show starts at the performance center would notice i'm always wearing like horror t-shirts or, or different movie t-shirts so that's probably something that not a whole lot of the wwe universe would know that i've watched a lot of 80s horror movies <laughs> I, I can relate i'm a huge yeah. fan this is, this is going to be a conversation that is going to have to be picked up another time because that's okay. a hole that i will gladly <laughs> oh, yeah. spiral down with you uh the old school horror movies and i heard you you called yourself the king of the monsters i got a godzilla tattoo last week so i mean oh. i'm on the same page we're on the same wavelength Vic, Amazing. you can actually just go home. Just that's, that's I'm scared of needles. I don't have any tattoos, guys. <laughs> you got to get one. You're going to get like a real No, absolutely one. not. I, I, don't, I don't drink protein shakes. I don't weight lift and I don't get tattoos. Those are the three things that I'll never do. I think we should, I think we should forcibly kidnap Vic and have him tattooed <laughs> head to toe by like a Maori shaman. Kind of like <laughs> I think that'd be great. Bronson want to shave my head and get the flames on me. Yeah. No, I just want you to get your own name on the chest. Just a big Vic. <laughs> no, that would look absolutely ridiculous, dude. Are you kidding me? You can play the xylophone on my ribs, let alone get a tattoo uh, across my chest of my own name. I want to see it. 
Well, well, look, besides getting a tattoo on my chest, which Bronson, not going to happen. I I always look forward to seeing you and talking to you every single uh, Tuesday at NXT. The one last thing that I want to know, because we've had the conversation from Bam Bam Bigelow to your wife, to this journey, who reached out to you after winning the North American title that surprised you? I mean, a lot of people, really. Like, I I was inundated with messages and stuff like that, but it, it means a lot to me when I have a lot of my peers reach out to me or, or send me a message and say like, hey, congratulations, or I watched and that was cool. Um, someone like Mark Henry reached out to me, which oh, is wow. re- really cool. Like, again, another huge heavyweight within the business. I, I respect everything he's done. He, he was kind enough to send me a message and just congratulate me. D'Lo Brown was another one. Maybe the Nation of Domination like Bronson Reed. I don't know. I dig it, absolutely. <laughs> but hey, hey, I'm, I'm fans of them. Um, but then I had people from Raw and SmackDown reach out. And uh, that means a lot to me as well, because, you know, one day I might be on those brands. So to have people congratulate me and actually be watching from there is is big for me. Well, don't be talking about going to Raw. Don't be talking about SmackDown <laughs> because the, the wheels will start rolling and Graves his mind about, oh, yeah, yeah. Bronson on Raw and who can we get? And, and you know, I love having you on Tuesday nights, man. And it was uh, it was awesome. I know Wade talked to me after the show about the standing ovation you got from the audience. Yeah. No one left the Capitol Wrestling Center for 10, 15 minutes. Everyone there uh, showing their love and their support for what you've done inside the ring. Yeah, I mean. I, I love those things like the fans, the energy they bring to the shows, especially the NXT brand. They're, they're very special fans. And uh, I will always take time to speak to them or, or to answer things online and just because they're very respectful. And again, they, they just believe so much in people's journey and the wrestling. Bronson, I've enjoyed watching this journey of you sitting there ringside, best seat in the house. Can't wait to see what's coming up for you. And really, thank you for taking the time to join Graves and I here on After the Bell. No, thank you, guys. I really liked it. I love what you're doing, man. Keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep elevating that North American championship. And uh, despite Vic's best interests, I'm going to do my best to see you on Monday soon. Oh, please. Thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, maybe it be Friday. Well, that was a fun one, man. Bronson Reed, a guy I'm a big fan of. I'm still unfamiliar with, but I feel like I had to learn a lot about a dude that I'm already a fan of. Made me like him a little bit more. I'm just happy I learned that your first kiss took place during a Spice Girl song. Hey, listen, we all have our crosses to bear, okay? I cannot wait till next week when we break down what would the world look like had there not been a Montreal screw job. But until then, keep filling the ATB mailbag. Use the hashtag ASKATB. That's Ask ATB. We're going to answer some of your questions on an upcoming episode. Follow us at After the Bell, WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. You can find him at Vic Joseph WWE. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. Throw us five stars. If you're on Android, ATB's on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you keep up with all your favorite shows in the WWE Podcast Network at WWE Podcasts on all social media platforms. We'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, an augmented look at history, and more WWE after the bell. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.